Well, thank you, Eric, very much for your leadership. Brothers and sisters, it's good to be home with you once again. Uh, my family and I were away for a week. Uh, we're kind of weird. We lived much of our life together as a family north of the Mason-Dixon line, so when we got away for a week, we went north for a real winter vacation. Um, when we got to the West Virginia area, there was about 12 to 14 inches of snow. Uh, there was a thaw, but uh, I shoveled an awful lot of snow, and uh, that can be very therapeutic, actually. When you live in the north, it gets old, but if you live in the south and then go back to the north, it's kind of therapeutic as long as you pump ibuprofen. But uh, it was a wonderful week, but I'll tell you, we all said it's good to be home, and it's good to be home once again with you. I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Uh, just a few words of introduction before we read this passage. Uh, we tend to think of conversion as a once and for all event. But I trust that as we have studied Ephesians, we can appreciate how there's a sense in which conversion involves a lifelong transformation, what's with a once and for all beginning. Um, our faith, our repentance must continually deepen. And that's because, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And because you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we may be assured that our faith will deepen. Uh, we belong to Christ. We are under the Holy Spirit's lordship and control. And so we are being transformed into Christ's likeness, one degree of glory to another. And God always completes the work that he begins in his children. He always does. That's our privilege. That's our assurance. In the first of his 95 theses, Martin Luther put it this way. He said, when our Lord Jesus said, repent, he meant that the whole of the Christian life should be repentance. And he was right. The whole Christian life is one of ongoing conversion or transformation that involves continually putting off the old and putting on the new. We never get past that in this life. Our destiny, let us remember, is conformity to the likeness of Christ. And God will accomplish that in our lives one way or another. But all of that means that there is hope for family relationships. There's hope for family relationships. Relationships between wives and husbands. Travis dealt with that last week. But also relationships between children and parents. We'll consider that this morning. I must say that some of you may be a little frustrated by this sermon because it, the constraints of time, we simply don't have an opportunity to touch on everything. And I found myself a little bit frustrated as well. I was revising this morning <laughs> until I didn't have any more time. But let's pray. And let's seek wisdom from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will bless uh, these words of Paul's. 
in our hearts and in our minds. We acknowledge that these are your words through your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read them first. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Oh, when I was much younger and single, I, I lived for a while with four other unmarried men in a rented house in Southern California. Uh, in spite of all of its problems, Southern California is a, it's a wonderful place. It is a remarkable place. And all of us at that time were attending the same school together, one of my roommates and I tried to reach out to some of the young children in our neighborhood with the gospel. We hosted backyard Bible clubs. We led a Bible study in our house. Um, the kids were starved for attention in our neighborhood. They were happy for any attention that we would give to them. Every family is dealing with challenges on some level, isn't it? Every family. And these, the families of these children were not different. Uh, one boy's family was coping with the problems related to his father's alcoholism and his uh, marital unfaithfulness. Our church had a Bible study in that house. It was a real blessing. Another boy and his sister no longer lived with their parents because mom and dad were coping with drug addiction problems. The children were being raised at that point by their grandparents. Their grandparents were vocal about their unhappiness of having to raise their grandchildren. The problems of their parents revealed themselves in their children, in particular ways, the brother seemed unable to play happily with others. Often he was cursing others, or he was punching others, or he was getting punched himself. And uh, I feared for this little boy, I, I feared it would be hard for this little boy to enjoy a long-term relationship when he grew up, perhaps hold down a permanent job, Valerie and I were engaged around that time, and his little sister, I remember one of the first things she said to us was, will you and Valerie get a divorce? I mean, she was just a little kiddo, and the, the question was very honest. I was grateful for it, but obviously she was struggling with the anxieties related to the permanence of relationships that um, she valued in her mind Relationships come and they go. I remember our church had a week-long camping trip at a national park. And uh, I took the little boy and girl with me. And uh, the grandparents were happy for the rest, but I was in over my head that week a bit. Um, in a scuffle, the little boy got in a a nice right hook to another boy's face and give him a shiner. And uh, they made up. We got past it. I think we had a successful week by and large. But 
my relationships with those kids was a formative experience for me as a young Christian. It opened my eyes to see how basic the family is to life in this world. It's the way God has created the race, you see. The family is the training ground for mature adult character. The family is to be a community of teaching and learning about God and about godliness. And in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul clearly envisions the family in that way. The quality of family life that Paul espouses here was, oh, it was a radical change from the callous cruelty that existed in many Roman families at this particular time. Uh, at this time, unwanted babies were often just abandoned, particularly the little girls. Even healthy children could be regarded as a nuisance because they got in the way of sexual promiscuity and easy divorce. In our own day, when the members of families are alienated from one another and parents can be afraid not only to say no to their children, but even to say anything at all to their children. I think that Paul has here in these just these few words, this isn't a long passage, but in these few words, he has two great pieces of wisdom for us. They're very straightforward. And the first is this, children obey your parents. Children obey your parents. Those are refreshing words when you think about it. These, these words are actually quite countercultural. Think about it this way. Paul is addressing the children of believers because Paul actually expects the children of believers to be present in the assembly for worship when his letter is read. I, I wonder if he grasps something that many churches today seem to have missed. Many churches today complain that they are losing young people. And it's one reason, perhaps, because they've never been present in the first place. You see, if, if parents send a subliminal message to their children, you don't belong here, you won't enjoy the service, then we are teaching them this is mom and dad's thing and not yours. And obviously, Paul felt differently. I love hearing the presence of children in worship because, you see, the church is a family. But that Paul would give the children of believers such a prominent place in the congregation. When the Roman world minimized their importance, shows how countercultural the church is. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Again, Paul writes the Corinthians that the children of believing parents are holy to the Lord. Our children are not pagans. They are the objects of the Lord's tender concern, as they should be of ours. And, and in Paul's command, I think we see two things about a child's obedience. First, we see the requirement of a child's obedience. Children are obligated to obey their parents. This has been a self-evident truth, needing no proof in every culture throughout history. And the reason is because this is how God created people. And this is how he created the world. In his letter to the Romans, Paul identifies disobedience of parents as, as not only a sign of a decadent society, but also of a spiritually troubled heart. And we have this wonderful illustration of this in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke's gospel. 
And there we read in the second chapter of Luke how Jesus, he's just a 12-year-old, and he goes and he seeks out the wise and the learned teachers of God's law in the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus engages those teachers with such insightful discussion that they are amazed at his understanding. And then later, when Jesus' earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, find him after they had been searching for him, they find him in the temple, and this 12-year-old gently but firmly reminds them of his unique relationship to God. But then, and this is key, Luke says Jesus was submissive to them. Jesus was submissive to them already at the age of 12. Jesus has more understanding than his teachers. He has more insight than his parents. That's kind of awkward. That presents some real challenges. Even so, Jesus does not despise the role God has given to his parents of having authority over him as their child. He has more wisdom than Mary and Joseph, yet he submits himself to them. He obeys them, even though sometimes they are in error. And should we as children do anything less than that? And Paul reinforces this requirement of a child's obedience by saying, obey your parents in the Lord, in the Lord. Sometimes parents command their children to do things that are contrary to the will of God. Paul is not addressing that difficult situation here. He is simply reinforcing that that Christian parents and their children have this special relationship with the Lord, and within that relationship with the Lord, parents and children have different roles. Children are under the authority of their parents. Children... Your obedience to your parents is the place of safety for you. In obeying your parents, you are obeying the Lord. And then we see the reasons for a child's obedience. Paul gives two reasons. First, obedience is right, he says. It is right because God has placed your parents in authority over you. You learn to obey your heavenly father by first learning to obey your earthly parents. You see, God is training you to obey him in the future by obeying your parents today. And something more, children enjoy God's blessing by their obedience of their parents. Paul quotes the fifth commandment to support this. He says, honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. But I, but I wonder, I wonder if we heard in that commandment how God exhorts us not simply to obey our parents, but to honor them. And we know that honoring parents is a bigger thing than simply obeying them. And how we obey our parents, or I'm sorry, honor our parents, will vary according to our circumstances and according to our stage in life. When when children are young, honoring parents is first expressed by obeying them. But then the honor we show our parents will change as we grow older and establish ourselves on our own. For example, Our honor will change when we marry. And in obedience to Scripture, we leave our parents to cleave to our spouse. At that point, a new primary relationship is established. As our parents get older, we honor them by involving ourselves in their lives and supporting them and caring for them. 
Honoring our parents will take all of these kinds of things into account as our circumstances change and as we get older. And, you know, all of this became much clearer to me after God saved me in college. I, just a little bit of history at this point. I, my dad had been an aerospace engineer at NASA. And conscientious NASA engineers, what do they do? They create backup systems for backup systems, of primary systems. And all this is to say that NASA engineers can be critical and they can be impatient, both of themselves and others. If my dad were still alive and he was present with us today, he'd be the first to admit this. And so there were times growing up when I chafed under my dad's demands and our wills collided. I was the oldest child after all, and I regret to this day how I contributed to our unhappiness by my willful attitude. But you see, through my conversion in college, God changed my heart. And it was then that I realized increasingly that I must honor my parents as an expression of my love for the Lord who loved me and gave himself for my disobedience of him. My friends, I am willful, I am sinful, I am proud. The cross of Christ proves that to me. So increasingly, I was saddened by the unnecessary unhappiness I created for my parents. But in addition to that, working with troubled kids after graduation opened my eyes even further. It was then that I began to appreciate how much good I had received from my father with whom I collided. And he was hardworking, he was conscientious, he provided for our family, he was faithful to my mom, he taught me to respect authority, he demanded a measure of self-control from me, he demanded that I take responsibility for my actions, that I learn from my mistakes, he taught me to think critically, and God has redeemed all of those blessings uh, to my benefit since becoming a Christian, but eventually I went home. And when I was alone with my dad on a road trip of several hours, I told him how much I appreciated him. I wanted to honor him. And my dad was a little bit embarrassed, I think, but he was greatly encouraged because he had his own regrets. But you see, becoming a Christian made me a better son, and I thank God that God gave me that opportunity before my father died. Young people, if you are finding it difficult to honor and obey your parents, here's some things I want you to keep in mind. Here's just some words to the wise. As you grow up, I promise you, as you grow up, you are going to see more and more of your own failures and your own shortcomings as a person. I mean, young person, as you gaze at the cross of Christ by which you are saved, it does teach you not to think of yourself as a paragon of virtue. You're willful. You're sinful. That's why Christ died for you. Also, young person, if you ever have children, 
you will very much want them to love you. Despite all your shortcomings and failures. So don't withhold the love you want from your children then from your parents today. Also, remember the example of your Savior. The young Son of God submitted himself to his earthly parents as imperfect as they were. Take courage from Jesus' example. Keep in mind that in obeying your parents, you are obeying the Lord who placed them in authority over you. There is safety in that. There is blessing in that. You know, one day you will see how much you have gained from your parents' sacrifice and their love. Honor your parents as an expression of your love for the Lord who loved you and gave himself for you. And then second, parents love your children. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul begins verse 1 by referring to parents, but then he switches to fathers here in verse 4. Again, Paul's words are countercultural. The Roman world was frequently cruel to children under the Roman law of patria, potestas, the father's power. A Roman father had absolute authority over his children. He could sell them off as slaves. He could make them work in his fields in chains. He could punish them as he saw fit. When a baby was born, he had the power to accept it or reject it. We have this well-known statement of a Roman father writing to his wife from Alexandria where he says, if good luck to you, you have a child. If it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it out. You see, it's against that background that Paul says that a Christian family must shine as light in part because, you see, of the parents' love for their children. And Paul refers to two particular qualities of parental love here. And first, the responsibility of parental love. Notice Paul speaks to parents here, not to grandparents, not to hired servants, not to tutors. God gives parents the primary responsibility for raising their children. Now, does that mean that the Bible forbids parents from ever using the services of others? No, it does not mean that at all. But, but Paul does challenge us to ask ourselves whether or not we are assuming the primary responsibility of being caregivers to our kids. There is a great temptation, isn't there, to turn over the upbringing of our children to almost entirely to others. Now, we must avoid unkind judgments, given the complexities others are facing. But Paul's instructions encourage, I think, some wise thought. A wise Christian leader wrote these words. I quote him. I think they're helpful. He says, a husband and wife working long hours and demanding jobs that leave both exhausted at the end of the day when they pick up their kids from grandma's or daycare must question whether they are submitting themselves to the family model the apostle envisions for biblical parity. Bigger homes, nicer cars, longer vacations, purchased at the price of absent parents cost far too much and may well indicate submission to values distant from Scripture. And notice as well that Paul summarizes the responsibilities of parents with two words, discipline and instruction. 
Or put another way, parenting requires a balance of affirmation and admonition. We must be firm, but we must also be kind. And then we see not only the responsibilities of parental love in Paul's words, but also the, the restraint of parental love. How did, I think it's interesting, particularly that in the Roman world of Patria Potestas, that Paul cautions fathers not to provoke their children to anger. It's true, of course, that our children need directive and corrective training. If we neglect in that responsibility, we will spoil them. They need discipline to gain wisdom. The Bible's clear about that. But parents, remember this as well. You are priests of God to your children. You represent the Lord to your children. And I know to my sad regret, it's possible for a parent to subordinate a children to his authority in ways that obscure rather than express the gracious authority of the Lord who stooped to serve that parent. Now, what sins of parents might provoke the righteous indignation of a child? There are lots of indifference is one. Favoritism is one. Also, some of us may find too easily disciplining our children out of concern for ourselves and our reputation rather than out of concern for the child. Selfish discipline is self-serving discipline, and our children see it in time, and they will come to resent it. Also, are we impatient? Are we complaining because we resent the burdens of child-rearing? You know, research in the area of child development has corroborated biblical teaching. There was this famous 10-year study of parent-child relationships that was completed in the 70s. And it found that, and I'm quoting, authoritative parenting in which the parents exert firm control without hemming the child in with too many restrictions is more apt to produce a motivated, friendly, moral, and cooperative child than either authoritarian parenting in which the parent attempts to shape, control, and evaluate all the activities of the child, or permissive parenting in which demands are placed on the child who is permitted to do whatever he or she wants. The children of authoritarian parents tend to be discontented, distrustful, and lacking in warmth, while the children of permissive parents tend to be the least self-reliant and, interestingly, more controlling they may even become tyrants who rule over their parents. I grew up with a friend, and he turned out exactly that way. To the children, I say, learn to honor and obey your parents as your Savior did in his youth. There's wisdom in that. There is blessing in that. And to the parents, I say, learn to both affirm, be both firm and kind, admonish and affirm, bear in mind the servant authority Christ exercised toward you when he stooped to serve you by dying for your sins. Give yourself for your children. Sacrifice yourself for your children as the Lord did for you. Let us pray. 
Almighty Father, just these are very brief words by the apostles, but they are very searching words for all of us, children and parents alike. Father, we would ask that you would send your spirit to give us wisdom concerning our circumstances. And we pray that you would continue to perfect us in the likeness of our Savior, one degree of glory to another. Lord, empower us by your Spirit continually to put off the things that belong to the old and put on the things that now belong to this new life that we have in Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.